Today we're speaking with pastor and songwriter Malcolm Baxter. Welcome to the program. How are you, mate? It's wonderful to be here, and I am absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Good to hear. <laughs> now, Malcolm and I have only known each other recently because uh, his daughter has started attending my church, and uh, I met him the other day and said, oh, I've got to do an interview with you. What a great story. Uh, so, uh, mate, people may have picked up a little bit of an accent there. So where were you uh, born and raised? Just a wee bit. Um, <laughs> I was born in Dundee, Scotland, mm-hmm. and I moved to Australia when I was 12 years old. We were um, what they used to call the 10-pound palms. <laughs> Though I always objected to the word palm because I am not a prisoner of Mother England. I am Scottish. <laughs> okay. I am a laddie. <laughs> That's right. Okay. So uh, were you raised in like a religious family? What was your background like? Look, um, I was thinking about that and I we weren't religious, but I was always churched. I, I, I was in the boys' brigade. So yes. that was a part of the Presbyterian church. And um, I used to hate the bit where they used to, you know, we used to go there during the week and read the Bible because they had the King James Bible and I couldn't. I, I find it hard to read English, never mind that sort of English. And um, But I was always church. We always went to church. Mm-hmm. But, but my parents didn't get saved until they, they came to Australia, and that was in 1971. Okay. So, but I always say I was church but unconvinced. Yeah. Does, yeah. That, does that sound right? Yeah, I understand. Okay. <laughs> so growing up as a teenager, I know you were into uh, a bit of punk music, and you ended up lead singer of a punk band. I Tell did. us about that. Um, that that was it. It's an interesting story. We I was I met um, uh, the friend of mine on the hostel Cabramatta Hostel uh, where we were migrants, and we had a, an interest in music. So we just got together. We started playing. I said I'll play the drums because that's the easiest instrument. Well, that's what I thought. <laughs> so we promptly got some boxes from the supermarket, and that was my drums. You yeah, because yeah. we couldn't afford real drums, and so we took it from there. And then I convinced my father to actually. Give us, a, you know, go guarantor and alone, so mm-hmm. that we could actually do our first single. Mm-hmm. It was called Animal World, and um, so we we did this single with a blind engineer. He was literally blind. He had braille on the the, the panel. Really? Okay. And when we'd finished the song and we got it uh, put onto a record, we we handed it to Wizard Records at that time, who had Daddy Cool and Hush and all those sort of people and Marsha Hines. And um, so anyway, so we 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 give them this letter, uh, this um, sorry single, and uh, they signed us. And the reason they signed us was because. When they put the record on, it went straight into the red in the UV and did not move for the whole. <laughs> so they thought that was very, very cool. So they signed us because of that, you know. And so we become punk rockers. But my father actually gave it to the minister in the Anglican Church, who then preached on Animal World and what it meant. And um, he didn't get it right. But. It was a good try. <laughs> okay, so around that time, uh, was punk massive? Like, I mean, there, there are bands like, you know, the Sex Pistols and the Dead Kennedys mm-hmm. and, you know, different punk bands that we hear about. Was, yep. was that that era? That was that era. Yeah. It was 1977. We were probably, we were one of the first punk bands in Sydney. Um, there were other punk bands, obviously, but mm-hmm. we, we actually did our own record. We went into the shops, tried to sell it and all that sort of stuff. Um, we didn't play for two years. Mm. And we had this. We were getting banned from places, and we weren't even playing. 
<laughs> and that's the sort of era it was. So we used to hang out with the Saints. You know, the, you remember yeah. the band, the Saints? We used to hang around with them. We we actually took their home over when they went to London wow. uh, in Sydney. And so we had this close-knit scene going on, and then we ended up playing in, in gigs like the Grand Hotel in Sydney, which became this famous punk. Yeah. So it was the equivalent of the CBGBs in New York. That was the, the equivalent in Sydney. Yeah. And um, so it was a wonderful time to be alive. Mm. And, you know, people always say to me, uh, and I'm actually working on a book right now called Punk to Pastor. Yeah. And um, they, they always say to me, well, how could you reconcile that? How can that happen? And I say, well, it's very easily. It's, we're both. You know, it, it, both of these things are part of revolutions. Yeah, absolutely. Know? And um, Jesus is the most revolutionary guy I know. And, I love it. Um, so it was easy for me to go from that to Christianity because I'd ha- I'd been churched. Mm. I was unconvinced, but I'd been churched, and I loved the Word of God, but I hated the music. And um, I remember, <laughs> I think I told you the story, but <laughs> I remember being the arrogant guy that I was, um, the more college people coming out to the church doing a missions thing and doing their acoustic guitar, you know, what they called then choruses. Yeah. And they said, what do you think of the music trying to impress me? <laughs> I said to them, well, if I ever get saved, mate, I'm going to change. I'm going to rewrite the hymn book. <laughs> I love it. So tell us about your conversion experience. Um, I got converted in England. In London, the band had finished up, and I was sitting on my bed, and my mum, who was um, a good praying mum, had sent a Bible to me. And I, I used to have it on the side of my, you know, on my towel, ne- never opened it. And then I was sitting there feeling really low, so I opened it into the Psalms, and I was reading through the Psalms. I don't know what I was reading, but I was reading something. And I virtually heard this audible voice saying to me, don't you think it's time? Mm. And, and I said, yeah. And that was it. Mm. That was the conversation. That was the, the, the signing of the deal. And, you know, but I think also, you know, the church experience had helped me to understand the voice of God and who God was. And so it was easier. It was like I knew this voice anyway. Mm. So it, it came to be, you know, and there'd been a few incidences before. Um, but then I went to an Anglican church because me and my wife, my now wife, we were living together. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that happened when, when I said yes was the Holy Spirit said, you need to fix this app. Okay. Which was an interesting thing. Yeah. So I went down to the local church with the bells and smells, high Anglican church. <laughs> frock. The guy had a frock. He was a hippie, suited him, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> was a punk rocker. And we got on great. We went to the pub, talked about the, the Bible and Jesus. And then he says, why don't you come – through this, this little, uh, these lessons that I do for confirmation. So he led me through this 14 week thing of, of confirmation. Then I did my confirmation mm-hmm. and that was my public declaration. Wow. So I was using things for the right reason and the Lord was taking me through the, on this journey. Okay. So that was in England. Yes. What was the next part of the journey after that? Then we got, we wanted to get married with our parents. So they were here in Australia. So we moved back to Australia and, um, I, I, I converted to Catholicism because I thought the bells and smells was it. And I think it took about three weeks and I realized that that wasn't, you know, what mm-hmm. I wanted. So I went back to the Anglican church. But to move on quickly because we haven't got much time, mm-hmm. but to move on a bit quickly is uh, I was in the Anglican church for maybe a year and a half, two years. Yeah. And I was standing in the church one day and I started to play worship. I, I'd stopped playing music. Uh, I was in a reggae band at that time, and I'd stopped playing music because I just felt the Lord say, hey, I want you to 
give it all to me. So I did. And I uh, was singing songs like From the Rising of the Sun and I just couldn't handle it. I just thought it was horrible. But but it was my training. It was coming in to obedience. It was coming into this thing. But I stood in the church one day and I said, Lord, if this is it, I'm going back to drugs because this is boring. It can't be it. Not from what I read. Mm. So within two weeks, I had a book in my hand about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so I phoned up the Anglican Cathedral <laughs> and the poor woman on the end of the phone, I said, why have you lied to me? <laughs> and I said, put me through to – I want to know why you're lying to people. You know, why haven't you told me about the Holy Spirit? So they put me through to the healing ministry, which is where all the nutcases go. And I got through to Jim Holbeck there, who was running it at that time, and we made an appointment. But that Wednesday, there was a healing ministry on. So I went there to see what this was. They were playing vineyard songs, which was very different to what we were playing. And um, and it was just a different feel to the whole thing. And I didn't understand it. So at the end of the service, they said there's anointing with oil, you know, at the communion rails if anybody wants that. And I thought, well, what have I got to lose? You know, so I went up to the there and this deaconess made a sign of the cross with oil on, on the front of my head, but got about halfway through the cross. And then the whole of heaven just fell upon me. I grabbed hold of the um, the communion rail, and I thought I was going to fall, you know, and I was kneeling, you know, and I didn't know what had happened. So you went over to uh, Anaheim Vineyard uh, in the States, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, that church has had people like uh, Bob Dylan uh, yep. involved over the yep. years, uh, Keith Green, mm-hmm. Larry Norman, yep. uh, you know, so many well-known musicians yes. were a part of uh, the early days of the vineyard. Mm. Uh, so you, you spent a season over there, and then you ended up as a vineyard pastor at I some did. stage. Where were you based there? Um, I was in Australia. Yeah. I, I actually went and did an internship in Virginia Beach mm-hmm. um, with a friend of mine called Ray Huff, and... Um, so I did that year, and they ordained me mm-hmm. as a, a church planting pastor. And I came back to Australia and planted a church in Sydney. Mm-hmm. And we did that, and we pastored that church for about, I think, four years, okay. five years. And um, But it was never, you know, to be honest with you, I mean, I never felt that I was a pastor of a church, you know, um, because I have this prophetic edge on me, and, you know, it tends to kill people, you know, <laughs> if you're trying to pastor them. And so <laughs> I was coming up against this thing, and I, I thought, I can't do this. So I, I just decided that, look, I, I need a break to just to see where I'm meant to be, you know. So then I went to become a – then I, I became worship pastor in a vineyard in Bendigo. Mm-hmm. and um, In Victoria? Yeah, yeah in yep. Victoria, and did that for a while. But it was still never just – it never gelled, you know. And, um, and I, I couldn't understand it. But what I found out was my people group are really in America. Every time I went there, there was so much favor and all mm. this sort of stuff. So this is where it's taking me now. So mm. I'm going to be with my friend uh, Ray, and we're starting a new thing called uh, the Mission Church in Natomas. And um, it's actually we have 11 acres mm-hmm. that we that, that he lives in, in a house on, and we're going to get tents, and we're going to do a ministry school uh, you know, for supernatural mm. training wow. and stuff like that. And we are really looking forward. And what we're going to do is you know, farmers' markets and, and stuff like that mm. so that we're doing something in the community. Wow. And um, so I'm really excited about yeah, this. You know? absolutely. And, um, and I was just speaking to him the other day, and I said, how many people do we have, Ray? I mean, you must have built up 100,000 by now. He goes, oh, we've got about 20. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so it's the same old, you know. Yeah. But it's it's just a wonderful opportunity to be yeah. able to spread the gospel yeah. in in a nation that I think, you know, um 
Mm. needs it. Well, Jesus changed the world with 12 people. You've you got 20. That's got a good 20. start. We're <laughs> way over the mark. Now, one of your songs got picked up by Vineyard Music years ago and was released on one of their uh, worship albums. Yes. Uh, tell us about that song. Um, I recorded the song. It's called Wonderful. And um, I recorded that song in Sydney mm-hmm. uh, for the Sydney uh, San Susie Vineyard that no longer exists. But we, we just did a bunch of six songs and, and put it out just for the local church. And um, I had the CD in my hand when I was doing the internship and I was at a conference with Jackie Pullinger, a uh, compassion conference about, you know, mm-hmm. how to, you know, minister to the poor. And um, there was a big youth conference going on at the same time and it was just a buzz and I had this CD. So I thought, I'll go down to VMG, which is Vineyard Music Group. And I gave them the CD. I said, look, if you want to listen to this, you can. If you don't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I'm not here to become a famous, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, you know? yeah. And um, so anyway, I give it to to uh, the Vineyard Music Group, and they chased me all over the building trying to find me. But there were so many people there, they couldn't find where I was. And then they ended up catching up with me in Virginia, and they got in contact with me. I still can't remember the people's names. That's how bad I am. <laughs> and, um, you know, I don't deserve to be famous, do I? You know, um, so they, they you know, phoned me up and said, oh, we want to take this song called Wonderful. And, and I went, you want to take that song? Three other songs in there that's ten times better than that. You know, <laughs> shows you how much I know. And so Scott Underwood did it on okay. the very last Father's Heart mm-hmm. um, um, CD. Wow! And I think it was thirty-eight Father's Heart thirty-eight yeah. or something. I remember listening to the Father's Heart worship CDs mm. uh, from the Vineyard Church when I was a young fella, and uh, really just love their their heart for uh, intimacy with God and yeah. worshiping the Lord with all your heart. Absolutely beautiful. Now, mate, before we go, mm. there might be people listening that have gone, "Wow." This guy was a punk rocker. Mm. He became a Christian. Uh, anyone can be saved if this guy can be saved. That's right. <laughs> um, for those who haven't heard the gospel, would mm. you share with us what is the gospel and how do people respond to it? You know, I've just had this conversation with a friend of mine for, that I've known over 40 years, and we were talking just yesterday, and he was, you know, saying to me, you know, the Christian, the Christian church is archaic, and it doesn't matter anymore. And I sort of agree with him. And, um, and I said to him, but you don't get what the gospel is, you know. And um, and I I seen you with Kevin Rudd, so you experienced <laughs> a little bit of people not knowing what the gospel is. <laughs> and um, because he mentioned that the the New Testament was about universal love, well, that's New Age. What the New Testament is about is reconciliation with God. It's mm, good, you know. And what we have to do, what and I, this is what I was saying to my friend. My job, my job is not to judge people. My job is to say, this is who Jesus is. Mm. We have all been judged worthy of the grace of God. That's the gospel. Mm. That's the good news. And the good news is that the kingdom is advancing. Mm. And we get to go with dad to work. Yeah. Amen. That's great. I love it. <laughs> you know, that's the deal. And that's, that's what keeps me, you know, going. It's like I was listening to a, an interview on the way up. And he, somebody was talking about leadership, and they said, great leaders never have a plan B. There's only a plan A because you've got no time to do a plan B. And I thought that was an incredible statement. And I think that's what we should be like as Christians. There is no plan B. Mm-hmm. There is no plan B, though, you know, and just, you know, this is the, my bugbear is, hey, you know, rather have no story than half the story. Mm-hmm. So let's stop, you know, candy flossing the word of God and let's tell it for the way it is, mm. the way Jesus 
spoke about the word of God, the way Jesus brought the kingdom. He's our model. He is the one that said to us, go therefore into all the world. That's our job as Christians, not just pastors. Everybody gets to play. That's very good news. And uh, I just wanted to say it's been such a, uh, a pleasure to get to know you mm. and uh, praying the Lord blesses you as you uh, head over to the States mm. and uh, plant your church. Uh, yeah. We'll have to keep tabs and uh, keep uh, up to date at how things are going. Yeah. Uh, Malcolm Baxter, I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Thanks for joining us on History Makers. If you'd like to hear this interview again, just go to historymakersradio.com. There you can download interviews, subscribe to the podcast, make a donation, find out about our YouTube channel, and maybe connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Just go to historymakersradio.com for more. You know, the vision of History Makers is to share the good news of Jesus Christ through conversation to the nations of the world. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Matt Prater. Why don't you go and make history? History Makers.